This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. You would never know Christina Birkenrow was once homeless and a junkie while in high school. Upon meeting her, you would know immediately she's full of life and one of the sweetest people I've ever worked with. Today, Christina scores on the pitch on one of the best women's soccer leagues in Mexico, and she's having the time of her life. I just knew somehow it was going to work out. You know, through all the struggle, I mean, I don't know how, like looking back, I think I just had this like undeniable belief in myself that the universe has a purpose for me. And the like, I'm meant to play soccer. I will succeed at this. Like it wasn't even a question through, I mean, I could have been, you know, under the most heavy influence of any drug. And I still would tell you like, no, I'm, I'm going to play soccer. Like my dreams will come true. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from farmers, sports writers, and former major league pitcher Ricky Romero. When I'd walked to that mound, it was like me saying thank you to Cal State Fullerton. It was paying my respects uh, to Cal State Fullerton because, it's, yeah, like you said, I, I knew what was ahead of me. I, I mean, the draft had just happened. I was the sixth pick overall. And I was just paying my respects in tears, you know, just kind of sitting there and, and, and taking it all in. I didn't want to take the uniform off. I knew it was going to be the last time I wore that uniform. Go to justagoodconversation.com for all our archives. Let's take a quick break from my sponsor before diving into my conversation with Christina Berkerow. I've got the chance to talk to somebody who I've wanted to talk to for a very long time. And I'm going to embarrass you right now before I even introduce you. The first time I saw you, I thought, there's no way that girl should be playing soccer. She should be a model. How are you, Christina? <laughs> Is that really what you thought? Yes. Yes. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah. You, um, I've dealt with a lot of models, and you're 5'10", 5 maybe 11. What do you, what do you give yourself? 5'10", 5 5'11". 5 um, about 5'10". Okay. Maybe in some good, thick, brand-new chucks, you're 5'11". <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. I'd say but, so. But you walked in, and I already, I think, uh, I think Chelsea Patterson had already told me something about you, right? She was my go-to girl during her last couple of years. As they, as the upperclassmen go, I always ask, okay, so what's going on? Who's new? What do you got? And she's like, yeah, we got this tall girl. We got some height. <laughs> <laughs> I love how I'm always known as the tall girl. <laughs> well, I mean, were you the tallest for most of those four years? Or was there anybody taller? Um, you know, there might've been one or two people like Nikki McCants. She was oh, pretty tall. Right. You know, I think there was like a few people who kind of came close, but I think I definitely, definitely have been the tallest. Right. Well, that's what, you know, Damien wants. He wants some height. You got to have height. Yeah. It helps. Yeah, definitely. So here comes this big eyed, wide eyed, scared to death freshman for mug shots, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that smile you're giving me right now. And I'm like, Damn it, this girl should be in Milan. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I yeah, love that. Yeah. Oh, thanks. That was like the best compliment. <laughs> now, I had no idea if you could play any soccer, but I figured I could take you off to Milan and make you a couple of bucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm still free to do that. So. <laughs> I think the club would be a little upset if we, you know, I took you away to, you know, maybe start your career at this late age. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Tell me about, uh, cause you have an absolute interesting path 
So even where you're at right now, I'm sitting in front of me like, what was your early childhood like? Are you an only child? No. So I actually grew up with, um, well, I have two brothers, okay. Billy and Mon. They're both older. Um, oh, so you got roughed up a little bit. <laughs> I did. But that's probably what made me the athlete I am today. Mm-hmm. So super grateful. <laughs> right. Locked into the closet and you know, had to sit in the hump in the car. And last exactly. one to the table. Yeah, I probably, yeah, I know. I think we wrestled like every day. I tried to beat them in soccer until I was like 15 years old. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, yeah, I grew up, um, I grew up in San Diego with, you know, my dad and two older brothers. Um, my mom actually passed away when I was about three. So that led How, for a little. Now, do you remember that as a three-year-old? Um, you know, I remember bits and pieces. I don't remember too many memories with my mom, but I do remember the idea of her okay. and kind of like you now she was there. And I remember moments, but it's not too many where, um, where it really affected me after right. I just, you know, the idea of it was kind of like, she was there for a point in my life. And then all of a sudden it was just my dad. Okay. Um, was it a sudden passing or was it an illness? No, it was an illness. It was, um, it was ALS. Okay. And so it was a long, slow illness. So everything I remember basically is her, you know, in a wheelchair. We were kind of like strolling around on the wheelchair, on the electric wheelchair. So, I mean, as much as I remember, it was fun. Like we had fun, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure you got to sit in the wheelchair and get pushed around as a little one, not exactly. realizing why mom was in the wheelchair. Exactly. So looking back, you know, I... You know, it, it must have been so traumatizing for my dad and whatnot. Um, How old were so, your brothers at the time? So my brother, my Billy was about five. Okay. And my older brother, Monty, he was probably nine or ten. Okay. So it was a little harder on them. Um, yeah, but, you would guess, especially Monty. At nine, he probably knows everything that's going on. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I think he's, he's still kind of like mourning it. You know, mm-hmm. it was a really heavy for him because my mom was his best friend. So he got it really hard, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, just being with my dad after that, it was, I remember my childhood kind of being alone a lot or hanging out with friends a lot. Um, being with my brother a lot and kind of just like going outside like a normal child. Playing in the pool, you know, playing in the grass, playing hide and seek, playing, you know, playing any sport we could. And when I was little, I just wanted to be like my brothers. I wanted to be like a boy. And so anything the boys did, I did. So if we were going to play, you know, baseball, I wanted to join in. Or if we were going to play soccer, I wanted to join in. And I wasn't afraid to get dirty. I wasn't, you know, it was just, it was just fun. (laughs) Normal childhood. So well, nothing's changed. You're still rolling around getting dirty on grass. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I loved it then and I love it now. So <laughs> Now at some point you made your way back to North Carolina, right? I did. Yeah. So when I was, I think I turned eight or nine, that was the point where, you know, my dad started struggling a little more financially. It was, you know, the way of, you know, my mom's, passing to taking care of, you know, three kids. It was just, it was a lot. And, you know, having a full-time job plus needing babysitters. Um, was there any family out 
in San Diego or was it just you through at four, I guess at this point? No, there, so we had both of my grandparents out in San Diego. Okay. Um, but even with them, it was just so much to, to handle. And so, you know, and plus the cost of living in La Jolla is where I'm from is just through the roof. Oh yeah. And so, you know, my dad being a single parent, you know, having a decent job, he was a car salesman, um, three kids to take care of. We lived in La Jolla by the beach. Like it just, it was just kind of falling through really fast. And so my aunt, which is his sister, um, she has four boys and they lived in North Carolina in Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. And so, you know, uh, when I was about eight or nine, my dad decided that he needed the help to take care of us, um, kind of split the cost of living, you know, split, split everything, you know, and just, have a motherly figure for, for my brothers and I. Did you guys have a family discussion about that or was it just dad's making the decision? You know, it it was just dad making the decision. Honestly. Um, I remember I was super excited to go because I'm somebody who loves change and I've loved change for as long as I can remember. Really? Even as a little girl? Yeah, no, I remember him telling me and I was just like, okay. (laughs) Now, how were your brothers? Cause so someone's 10, someone's there. 13 or 12, that's kind of rough. Yeah, no. And both of their personalities are very much so, you know, once they get accustomed to a place or to a person, it's like, that's what they want. Right. Um, and so they definitely had a harder time with it. But at the end of the day, I think we were all excited to kind of have, you know, kind of see new family as well that we don't really know. And the fact that, you know, my aunt was kind of going to fill in for our mom um, in a way. And so it was definitely harder on them. But at the same time, we were all excited. We were all ready. So, so yeah, we ended up just, like, driving out there one day. (laughs) I was just like, bye, San Diego, you know. But when we got to North Carolina, we actually lived on a farm. And so it was just, like, the most drastic change from living in La Jolla, California like a block away from the beach to living in a farm where like the houses were like a mile away from each other. <laughs> yeah. You went from like trying to be a little surfer girl rolling around to like, you know, cows and chickens and no, literally that was it. <laughs> oh boy. Oh my God. Did you take to it or was it like magical for you? No, for me, I mean, I remember getting up there and I was just like, I see cows as we drive in. And the driveway is one of those driveways that's like, you know, 100 yards long leading down to the house. Yeah, long gravel road or something. Yeah, exactly. You can picture it perfectly. So it was just like the ideal like movie, like farmhouse. And I just remember pulling up and there was like 50 cows, chickens running around. They had two dogs. They had a horse. I was just like, is there, there's no beach here, is there? (laughs) I'm only eight. I don't understand. Where's the beach? No, it was the most drastic change. But again, like I was so excited to experience new, I guess. Like I was like, I don't remember complaining at all. I was just like, whoa, (laughs) this is so new. So. Did did you get your own room? Like, what was the now, like, lay of the land for the young girl with these two boys who are probably not the happiest about it? Yeah, well, now, so 
you know, my bro- I lived with my brothers, and remember, I lived with my aunt who has four sons. So there was six boys in the house and me. That sounds like a bad sitcom. Six, and you know, I was really youngest. Six brothers and me. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, no. <laughs> Tuesday nights on CBS. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's me getting flipped off the trampoline. I'm sure. <laughs> God. Yeah. No, it was pretty wild. But as you can imagine, if you had five brothers and a little sister, like <laughs> that's what happens. Holy moly. So but no, it was fun. I mean, I, I honestly don't remember too much of the living situation. Um, I I'm pretty sure I shared a room cause we didn't have a big house. I'm pretty sure I shared a room with my dad and with my brother or maybe I honestly don't remember. I don't know why I'm sorry. What's my dog? Come on, Pepino. Sorry. <laughs> um, and so it was, man, I just remember, you know, we walk outside and there's a farm and there's animals and, but the one constant thing, the one consistent thing that has always been in my life was soccer. No matter where I was, that's what I wanted to do. So are you playing it at that time in North Carolina? Or is it something you were like aware of? Like, let's go play soccer guys. Yeah, totally. That's, you know, I, I remember seeing, I think it was the, it was the first time I saw an outdoor, um, like drying, you know, when you dry the clothes, mm-hmm. I forget what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there was like two posts of wooden, it was like made of wood. And I just remember thinking like, okay, this is my goal. And the other one's your goal, Billy. <laughs> and I just remember I would want to compete with him every day, like uh, with the, with the drying rack. For <laughs> so yeah, soccer was just a constant on my mind. Did the boys play? Yeah, we all played. We all played. We didn't, they didn't play like I was definitely the most into it and I was the most passionate about it to them. It was just kind of like going outside and playing for fun. Right. It's an activity, but you're trying to be like, let's, let's play world cup. I'm Norway and you're Chile. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But since they were all older, I would always lose. And so I'd get furious. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. now, Now, were you like, I'm trying to picture this. Cute little eight-year-old. Were you like all at this point, like country bumpkin overalls, trying to play soccer? <laughs> like you're. <laughs> no, um, I think at this point I was still. I want to be a boy, and I'm wearing like my Pokemon shirt and soccer shorts <laughs> and Vans. <laughs> right, I'm almost still surfer girl, but I'm. I want to play soccer. Yeah, basically. So. Like you, I mean, was there anything else that was driving you sports wise? Did you like volleyball, softball, golf, anything? Or was it just, I'm addicted to soccer? No, you know, I, the one thing I really, really, or one of the things I really, really appreciate about the way my dad raised me was he knew I was athletic just with everything. And so from as early as I can remember, he put me in every sport he could. I mean, I played golf competitively I played ice hockey I should have played basketball but the fact that my dad wanted me to play basketball so bad I didn't (laughs) I just (laughs) I was super stubborn I probably still am but um no I mean I played tennis competitively I swam competitively like I was an all-around put me in any sport and I'll do it well 
were you getting tall at this point? Yeah, I've always been a tall string bean. <laughs> super lean, super tall. Were you starting to be as tall as the boys? Because they've got a couple of years on you, and boys are always a little slow to develop. So are you catching them? Yeah, I definitely was. Oh, and so actually, my first team in, uh, in North Carolina, my dad actually put me on a boys team. And so growing up, I, well, I read in a book one time. I don't do you remember Mia Hamm? I'm sure oh, yeah. you do. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I read her book, and like right when I got to North Carolina, and I read that she played with the boys when she was younger. And so I was like, Dad, I want to play with the boys. <laughs> like, I don't want to be on a girls' team. Like, <laughs> were, were, there, like were there a lot of girls' teams? Yeah, there was actually, okay. there was this, I think this was a time where like girls, you know, they, they had teams for sure. They right. had leagues. They were, especially in Raleigh, North Carolina. I mean, that's a, it's a hot spot for, yes. for women's soccer. Yeah. So, and it's big in North Carolina. That's where she went. Yeah, exactly. So I feel super lucky, honestly, because I was definitely exposed to good coaches, good, good players, good people too, you know? Right. So how long were you there? How long did you spend in the Carolinas? You know, uh, so I went there when I was about eight, and I stayed until my freshman year of high school, so probably 15. Okay. So I was there, I mean. Seven years. Half my childhood, yeah. yeah. Wow. So, at, I mean, did you kind of feel as you're like 12, 13, 14, you were going to stay? Or what was the, er, we're kind of turning around and we're going back to Cali? Yeah, you know what? I it's it's so interesting because all like all my childhood, every time I said I was from California at school to somebody, I would automatically get like these cool points. <laughs> right, of course. You know, because they think when they think of California, they think of the beach, Los Angeles, like movie stars, you know. Baywatch, yeah. whatever. Exactly. Yeah, you must know so, everybody there. <laughs> Yeah. And so I was just like super, just like athletic tan girl when everybody there was just like kind of country and stuff, you know what I mean? Yep. So I think I, I kind of like felt a little different being from California. And I always, I always, you know, I always remembered the beach. I, I had really good memories in California. And so it definitely was in me and in my mind and in my heart, like I need to go back to California eventually. And luckily my dad felt the exact same way. How was he, how was he doing personally? Was he getting better, feeling better from that moment where he wasn't feeling good and he had to make the change to go to North Carolina? Did he feel over those seven years? I mean, you're maturing now you're 12, 13, 14, so you can get a better read on, you know, a grown man. How was he doing? Right. So, you know, I think for the first few years of North Carolina, um, he was really good. You know, he was excelling at his job. He was one of the top salesmen in the whole state. Um, so financially he was doing really well. Um, but then, you know, after a few years there, I just think something happened where like, I don't think he really mourned my mom's death as much as he should have, honestly, healthily. I don't know if that's a word as healthy <laughs> Um, and so there was one, you know, there was one couple months where I just remember everything was like going downhill. Like I could just tell my dad was sad. He was depressed. Um, 
he was, he was smoking weed. He was, you know, kind of like pushing everything to the side and, um, and our relationship kind of distanced a bit and it was just, it started to go south, everything. And so I could just tell the sadness was kind of like creeping up with him. Did he try Uh, to date at all? No. So that's funny you ask actually, like, I respect him for this so much. And like, I love hearing these words, but I still think that everybody deserves love at any age, you know? Um, He'll tell you to this day, you know, I found the love of my life and I found the one I'm supposed to be with and she's just not here right now. Yeah. Because I wonder wonder if that would have helped him. Like there's having that soulmate, having that love, right? Totally, totally. And I think love is the answer to everything. You know, love is the answer to getting out of depression. Love is the answer for, you know, it's just vulnerability. It's, it's having somebody there. It's, it's something so special to share with somebody. And I still, I mean, you know, he's still, he's still here with us. And so hopefully love just like keeps knocking on his door. Right. Yeah. Cause you know, there, there is that wonderful thing that, you know, he did find his soulmate and he did find his love, but there also is something about like having that companion you know, sharing those intimate moments, just having a conversation, whatever, like just the simplest things I think could, you know, always be helpful to somebody going through that. And as the kids, as you guys, you can only do so much because he's caretaking for you, right? He's your dad and you guys will love him through thick and thin, but you can't give him the same thing as a wife or a partner or a spouse can give just in the conversations alone. Yeah, I completely agree with you. There was a couple times where, you know, he did date. I was still pretty young to kind of realize, like, is this serious? Is this not? Um, But I just remember always being so happy that he found somebody that, like, makes him happy. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, like, I think all the relationships he had were kind of, they were just friends because I think, you know, he probably didn't deal with, my mom passing away. And so I don't think he could have gave love as he wanted to, to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that, but yeah, I mean, man, I love really does change everything. Having that companion really changes everything. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you guys, you know, get in the, get in the car and decide we're going back to Cali. Yeah, no, one summer he was just like, Hey, you know what? I have the means. And at this point we were like, you know, 14, 15, 16. So we were, we completely understood everything, you know? And he was just like, Hey, I have the financial means to, to go back to California. Like, let's do it. Like I miss being by the ocean. I miss everything. And again, I was so excited. I was like, let's do it. But my brother, on the other hand, I mean, he had spent the last seven years making such good friends, like just, Which you know, one, Billy was, or Monty? Billy, Billy. Yeah. So, and again, he's like with the patterns, like he liked staying where he is. He was in high school already, you know, he like made his life and made his childhood and he was so happy with what he had. Um, and so my dad actually offered for him to stay. He was like, you can stay if you want, but like, I'm going back. And I was like, I'm going back too. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, you know what? We just, he was just said, you know, pack up what you want and we're going to get on a flight. Wow. 
Yeah. So there was, I mean, a lot of change in my childhood and I think I learned to adapt in such a way looking back like so easily and I'm, I'm pretty thankful for it. So this is your freshman year. Yep. So we moved back to California, San Diego, and Between? I was, it was like two weeks till, yeah. So we moved during summer break because my dad knew. Before, before freshman year or before sophomore year? Before freshman year. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you're going to dive into the, the crazy high school life is again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, had you pick up a little bit of a Northern North Carolina accent? You know, I did actually. Yeah. <laughs> I started saying y'all and I started saying, you know. <laughs> but again, it set me apart. It set right. me apart. All of a sudden, you're like this former Cali girl is coming out like, what's up, y'all? Hey, how you doing? What's a sweet tea? <laughs> Hi, darling. <laughs> oh, it's like you've been there before. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, I could only see you talking like that. <laughs> <laughs> Totally. That's so, awesome. So how was it? How was it coming home? Did you guys come back to the area? You know what? It was, you know, right when we got back was the, the next few years were just going to be the most heavy years of my life. And like, right. Just right when we got back, things started to go downhill. And Immediately? it Mm, not immediately, but actually, you know what? Yeah, pretty much immediately. Was it, was it him falling into with like old friends or was it too much to be there? Like, oh my God, we came back to where this event in my life was so tragic. Like, What was the spiral? Yeah, well, so actually going backtracking a little bit. So in North Carolina, we ended up moving away from the farm mm-hmm. after the first year or two and we moved to the city in a big big house I think it had six bedrooms like very well spaced you know (laughs) um and so obviously the price is different from North Carolina to California a bit different yeah so when when we get back the first few months we're sharing a two-bedroom apartment with my dad's friends and so it's me Billy and my dad and Monty moved away. Um, he decided to go back to go to San Francisco. Um, and so it was me, Billy, and my dad in one room. And then one of my dad's best friends, Rick, in the other room. And so it was just like, I was just like, okay, how long are we going to stay here? You know, we got we to gotta get our own place, you know? Yeah, and you're a 14-year-old girl at this point. You kind of want your privacy yeah. away from stinky boys. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. But, you know, at that point, I was just happy to be back in California. You know, I was skating to the beach. I was able to go surfing. I was playing soccer. You know, life life was okay. I was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, And my dad, you know, always told me, like, hey, we're going to get our own place soon. Just, like, bear with me. So when we got our own place, we ended up getting a one-bedroom apartment near the beach. Because that's what he could afford. And so a part of me was still thankful I was in California, but that's when I kind of realized that like things were going downhill. Um, My dad, you know, again, he smoked a lot of weed. He decided to just kind of take away his emotions through that method, which, which is okay. A lot of people are fully functional medicating themselves. 
and like I was aware that he was doing this and and everything and it, it was fine you know um but the other side of me was kind of worried because he kept you know kind of failing drug tests like he couldn't keep a job very stably um and so I don't know it just it got kind of hard honestly um like my dad would sleep in the living room and I would share a room with my brother and it was fine like we made it work but I just you know I just kept going to high school I just kept kind of doing my own thing and the years went on and and like my dad just couldn't really keep a job he like no money was coming in you know no money was you know he didn't have a job there was no money and so but we had to keep paying rent we had to you know he had two kids that he had to take care of and and so again Billy and I you know we just continue to live our lives pretty independently and my dad tried to make tried to make means work um through his end and there was just a point where he couldn't push marijuana aside right um how are you how are you at this point you're like you know high school is is an incredible monster as you know yeah and you're especially you know especially as freshmen coming in there's all these older kids you're 14 and there's like 18 year old girls on campus and everybody's, you know, could be bigger, beautiful, stronger, better hair, all the whatever. And you're just trying to get through the day as a freshman and you're dealing with stuff at home, trying to deal with your life. I'm assuming you're trying to play soccer as well. Yeah. And the thing is I still was playing soccer. Um, I think if you ever met me when I was, you know, in high school, um, you wouldn't have known that anything was happening at home. You know, you would have imagined that I was this well-off girl with a good family and, you know, a roof over my head and great tan on a skateboard. (laughs) Exactly. No. And, and, and that's like who I, who I was, you know? And so nobody really knew. And at that point, I honestly didn't really think that our situation was like that bad. I was just like, it is what it is, you Mm -hmm. know? You were but, somehow good at making it work. Yeah. I don't, I'm so thankful that I was. Cause looking back, I was just like, wow. <laughs> like, it, thank God I'm not weak-minded, you know? Right. Thank God I, you know, just kind of, I think honestly it was soccer that kept me sane. Cause like, no matter what happened off the field, I had this like, un just, just like, this undeniable confidence that soccer was going to get me to where I want to go. Was those 90 minutes when the game's being played like your safe haven, nothing can happen to me in these 90 minutes. Totally. And that was where I just like excelled so much. And so, you know, once the whistle blew and like I started scoring goals and giving assists and just dribbling, you know, dribbling across the field in high school, you know, I got so much recognition and I got, I just, I loved it, you know, and I just, that made me feel so good. And so, you know, I think it was until my junior year where I kind of hit rock bottom and, you know, I started doing drugs. I kind of lead into that life because, you know, I obviously was getting older. And so I was just like, I started realizing like, you know, dad, this isn't okay. We need to get it together. Like you had still have a daughter to take care of. You need to keep a job. 
you know, and I knew the money was running out. Soccer started to become in the, you know, started, started being in the back of my mind instead of my priority. I was just kind of looking for ways to survive, honestly. And so like by this time, Billy had graduated. So when I was a junior, he had just graduated. So he wasn't at school anymore. And he actually moved to Los Angeles with a cousin of mine and pursued a, a, a culinary career. Um, so it was just me and my dad. Um, Did you feel like to say that to your father that somehow you became, you know, the guardian, the parent, like to say that to your parent, your dad, like you need to get your shit together because, you know, I'm your daughter. You're supposed to be taking care of me. And there's an issue here. Was that difficult? You know what? It, it was, but I just, I have such a survivor instinct that at the time I almost like, I was giving myself more of a pity party than anything. Like I kind of, instead of kind of standing up for myself and pushing my dad in a positive manner, I just kind of let myself go and let all my healthy habits go. And I kind of dove right into the lifestyle that I was hating, you know? Um, and so, you know, just seeing my dad kind of hit rock bottom and knowing that like, we're literally about to hit zero dollars. Like we're literally (laughs) not about to be able to pay rent. I was just like, you know what, this is, this seems like the end of my life right now. And where do you think you got that survival instinct? Because that's big to um, have. And even at 14, we're not talking you now at 28 where you're like a Navy SEAL. <laughs> we're talking a 14-year-old or you know, know. a teenager who's all of a sudden pulling herself and her father up by the bootstraps. Yeah, you know what? My my Every story I've heard about my mom was that she, her characteristics were just – she was so strong-willed. She knew exactly what she wanted. She was very clear on every direction she wanted to go. And so I think I got a lot of my personality from, from her. Um, I think I got a lot of characteristics from, from her side. And so that DNA is strong. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty wild. Um, it was really wild actually. And so no. And so I, I mean, but there was a time where I, like, I definitely lost myself. Like I started doing drugs. I forgot about soccer. Was that because it was around the house? The was, that because, was, that? was that because it was like around the house? The pot yeah, or the totally. drinking. Yeah. Totally. No, you know what? My dad never drank. I've never seen him take a sip of alcohol in my life. Really? Pot, pot was definitely his thing. I mean. It's his numbing. Yeah, it was like, his numbing device. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I mean, my dad's a hippie. He was born, you know, he grew up in Southern California, surfing, like, you right. know what? He, he took on that hippie lifestyle. And so pot was just his way of living. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately it kind of took over his life instead of using it, you know, recreationally. Um, but yeah, so I started leaning to all of that and, and obviously being in high school, I, you know, that was just known as, you know, the gateway drug and that's what it was for me. Right. You know, I started smoking pot and then I started to do harder drugs. I started drinking and it was a, like on a basis of a few times a week. And so I just completely lost myself. I mean, uh, there was so many times, not so many, but there was probably a handful of times where I can think back that I'm like very, very lucky to be alive. Right. And so, and, and you, and you also, 
this balance of you're, you're trying to be an athlete. You oh know, yeah. You, you might have at this point, you might have expectations of like college, you know, totally. again, teenage girl awkwardness, you know, you're, you're trying to like get schoolwork done. All these things are, and you're trying to, you know, be this person and you're dealing with dad. I could see these things happening very simply. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's how exactly was, it. Let's to the pitch. How was soccer for you at this point? Is it starting to wane because you're not taking care of yourself properly? It is. Yeah, no, it is. It was my junior year and that's when, you know, I was kind of doing drugs pretty heavily and drinking pretty heavily. And, and thank God that, you know, I was the athlete that I was. And even if I showed up to training drunk or showed up to a game like high or whatever, I would still perform. And so my stats did go down a little bit, but I was still, I was still a great soccer player. Right. Um, and you're not you on know, a club sport at this point, right? You're not, nobody, you can't afford club. You're guest, right. I can't you're doing some club. guest appearances. Exactly. Exactly. I'm, you know, guest playing on weekends here and there for, you know, a couple clubs in San Diego, but by no means was it a consistent thing. Um, you know, I did get invites to, you know, join surf soccer club, join Nomads, which I don't think is a club anymore, but used to be um, a few different soccer teams. I mean, everybody, you know, offered me a scholarship, but at that point I was just, I was just like, I got, you know, I'm not worried about soccer. I'm worried about getting a roof over my head tonight. I'm worried about what I'm going to eat tonight. Um, That's what I'm going to ask you. What's your body like at this point? How tall are you? What's your weight? I mean, obviously you're not taking care of the machine. What's right. the, what is the body like? As far as I can remember, it was completely normal. Were you skinny? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was skinny, but I was also, I had that, you know, kind of high school chubby fat. Okay. Um, you know, I wasn't really in the gym. I was just playing soccer. How tall and were I mean, you? Have you peaked out at this point? No, I think I was, I think I was like five, yeah, five, eight, five, nine. Okay. So I was definitely... Super tall. You're probably um, eating crap, right? You're not eating the best food. Right, right. I'm not eating that great of food. I mean, luckily, like, my dad, again, he's a hippie, so everything to him is, like, it's natural. And so everything he did cook was was organic. Like, he wouldn't buy stuff unless it was organic. Oh, that's so, like, good. Okay. Yeah, no. So as, as much as my dad, you know, kind of dug himself to a hole, there was certain aspects that he taught me so well, no matter what it's like, eat organic, just treat my body well, drink lots of water, you know, warm lemon water in the morning for digestion. Like, you know, it's just like little things that I can't be mad at him for. (laughs) Was he aware of what you were going through? Oh yeah. Yeah. And he felt so bad, but he just couldn't get out of it. Right. He just, he dug himself into a hole of depression. You're spiraling. Yeah. Yeah. So he knew. And at that point, Without telling me with words, he kind of just kind of told me, like, hey, we're about to lose everything. Like, can you go live with a friend? Like, do you have somebody that can take care of you? And so, you know, luckily, I had friends that their families were willing to take me in. Um, And so I started living with families. I started, you know, there was actually a few times where I had to stay in hotels with my dad because he was just kind of bouncing around from hotel to hotel at this point. Right. I mean, we couldn't pay rent anymore. We lost lost the home. Um, his car got towed because he couldn't afford to pay payments anymore. 
it, it was just, it was a lot and he lost everything and you know, he had to live his own life. And so God love you. You had kept it together. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's, it could have been so easy for you just to be crushed by the weight of these responsibilities and what's happening in your life. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I was just so lucky for the people around me, I mean, at this point, my high school soccer coach, Jorge Palacios, he, he didn't know the extent of what's, what was happening, but he knew my potential with soccer and he knew that I was having trouble outside of school. Have you confided into anybody at this point? A girlfriend or sponsor or a counselor? Or are you um, keeping it all in? I think there was like one person that I confided in. I had a girlfriend in high school, but she was, I, she was my girlfriend when I was kind of in that bad phase. So she was just bad. Right. Okay. <laughs> so it was, it was actually, it actually made everything worse. <laughs> but um, no, again, like my high school soccer coach definitely, he had talks with me kind of without saying like, Hey, Christina, like, I obviously couldn't go live with him, but he just made sure that I knew that he knew what was going on. And he was just like, look, you have so much potential. Like I'm going to tell you about hanging out with the wrong people, you know, just like kind of taking over that fatherly figure that I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was super grateful for him. He helped me out so much. He actually, you know, he, he just did so much for me and he was, I mean, still to this day, I call him all the time. Like, He's definitely like a father figure. Yeah, because there's a lot of coaches that just could have been, you know what? I'm not dealing with this girl. She, yeah. She's just, she's going to screw things up and I don't want to be a part of it. Totally. And I'm, I mean, I have to thank God, like he saw my potential and he saw that I think my freshman year of high school, like I was that joyful kind of great, like I was a good human. You're you know, a country he saw girl. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, sweet, sweet tea. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, so he definitely saw through all the all the struggle, which I was super thankful for. How's your game at this point? Your soccer game. Oh man. So at this point, when I decided to move in with the family, mm -hmm. um, I started kind of get you know getting my healthy habits back. I started to realize like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to college for soccer. I'm gonna you know, um, I'm going to do everything I can to make my dreams come true. And by my senior year, I was back, you know, breaking records. I was back on top of my game. I felt good. Um, at this point I wasn't talking to my dad. He, I think, I'm not sure where he went. Actually, we were not in communication. Um, wow. That must've been we tough. Completely lived our own lives. Um, yeah, no, it was tough for sure. Like I definitely felt the hole in my heart, but at the same time I was like, it was kind of my motivation to succeed. Um, and so I think, you know, that struggle kind of gave me this fire that I was just like, okay, I'm going to do this. Like I've, I've gone through so much, but like, I'm going to go to college and play soccer. Like I'm going, like, I just, I, I felt like I just manifested this life since I was a little girl. Wow. So, I mean, because you're not on club. I mean, you know this now. Then it was probably something you quite weren't aware of. High school doesn't get the most recruiting, right? They, they do a lot of clubs and tournaments. They want to, you know, 
coaches will all go see 40 girls on a weekend in Palm Springs or wherever the hell everybody plays. Yeah. Are you thinking at this point, like you do have a chance at college? I mean, obviously nobody's recruiting San Diego state or Arizona. Nobody's knocking on the door quite yet. Or are you thinking maybe it's community college? Maybe that's my step. For sure. For sure. Thought it was community college. So I think what gave me hope actually is my freshman year, um, UCLA sent me a letter and said, Hey, it was like a handwritten letter, but I'm sure it was handwritten for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Some grad assistants like, okay, uh, writing these out all weekend. (laughs) And it was in this beautiful, like golden blue UCLA, like postcard thing. And I just remember holding it. I just remember getting it. And I was just like, it was after my freshman season. And I was just like, my dreams are going to come true. Like I'm going to be like big time. And at this point, like Mia Hamm is, I'm like, I'm going to be Mia Hamm. (laughs) And um, that's like your Willy Wonka ticket. Like you're like, I got this. Yeah, no, totally. And like throughout everything, I just had this, there was just a feeling in me that, I just knew somehow it was going to work out, you know, through all the struggle. I mean, I don't know how, like looking back, I think I just had this like undeniable, undeniable belief in myself that the universe has a purpose for me. And the, like, I'm meant to play soccer. I will succeed at this. Like it wasn't even a question through, I mean, I could have been, you know, under the most heavy influence of any drug. And I still would tell you like, no, I'm, I'm going to play soccer. Like my dreams will come true, you know? Now, you, you, you know, we're talked about like your body, drugs, you know, physical makeup. How was your school, right? We all forget, like you could have been a complete doofus and failing all your classes. College isn't happening. No. And again, I'm so lucky for the people around me because my soccer, I was one of the kids where I'm... I'm very smart, but sitting in a classroom for an hour for 30 minutes is not, and taking multiple choice questions like a test are, is not my strong suit. And I will continue to tell you that for this day. Like I'm, I love learning and, but school was so hard for me and especially going through, you know, I was showering at the beaches at some point before school and after school. It's like, were you really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when, when my dad and I were just kind of bouncing around, there was one or two nights where we had to live in his car. We had to stay in his car and sleep in his car at the beach. And so I woke up and showered at the beach and then went to school. And and so my grades and school was the last thing on my mind. It was not my priority, you know? And so, again, it's the people around me. It's It was my my soccer coach that basically talked to all my teachers and was like, look, this girl's going to go far with soccer, but like, you got to be easy on her with school. Like you have to not fail her basically. I mean, I was like a C average student, CD average student. And I think I got an A in like, I was always pretty good at writing actually. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, so, that's, that's, that's the interesting part, right? Like you could have literally just been getting by on D minuses just to get through play soccer and then there is no Christina playing after yeah totally no totally and so again I was just super lucky that most of my teachers were pretty willing to just kind of help me out um 
knowing my situation and whatnot. Um, cause I was always, you know, a very kind person, a very, you know, I always kept to myself. I wasn't a troublemaker, but it just, I was just in a very unfortunate situation. Right now. And so, well, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think a lot of teachers kind of just felt for me and really, really helped me out. Yeah. You know, and that goes back to the, it's amazing what you knew at eight, which amazing what you knew at 14, but you really can't fool that many adults who pay attention. I'm sure those teachers understood like, you know, this girl's going through some stuff. Like we have, she's not, we have something we haven't seen before. There was a Christina before you and there's been a Christina after. And if these teachers are paying half attention, they understand. Right. Right. So through word of mouth, Damien finds you like it's just absolute luck of draw. Oh my gosh. And a leap of faith in his part, because as you know, how many coaches pump up a player to do someone a favor, but because the relationships and playing, he took this guy's word and you find yourself in Fullerton, which is just, this is after high school. That's crazier. This is after my senior year. Yeah, like which everybody else in the country is already signed. And, oh my god! And going yeah. off, and they're cap and gowning, and they're wearing those UCLA colors. And I'm going to Stanford. I'm going to North Carolina. I'm going wherever. You graduate? Are, are you terrified? Your dreams aren't happening. No, no. <laughs> or, or are you just the bo- most beautiful blind girl I've ever met, and are just going for it? <laughs> Going for it. I, I honestly could not tell you. I, I don't have a memory in my mind of a day where I doubted that. Like, I mean, I think there were a couple here and there, probably like my junior year that I was like, I'm ruining my life, but no, I don't know. I think I was okay. It's like my next plan. My plan B was going to community college where I knew the coach. I knew all the players. I was going to do super well. And then I was going to go to a D1. Like I had a plan and that's, that was fine with me. I was, I was fine. Right. Um, and no, but it was just the craziest thing. So yeah, it was my senior year. I already graduated. School was basically done. Um, <laughs> it's no, it's done, hon. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> Summer was there and, um, you know, I get a text from my friend's mom saying, Hey, do you want to play in this nomads tournament, um, over at UCSD? And I was like, sure. Cause you know, pre college preseason is the summer. And so it was the summer school ended. And so, you know, I just, I was just like, yeah, let's do it. That'd, that'd be fun. Um, and at this point I was just, I just play at the park every day. You know, I just play pick up with like the older guys and whoever I can find there. Right. Hey, buddy, you want to play? <laughs> no, and if nobody was there, the wall was there. So no matter what, I was playing. Um, and so, you know, I'm on the way to the game with my friends. And I had guest played for this club a couple times. So, like, I knew the coach and stuff, Brian McManus. And so we get to UCSD. And have you, I'm sure you've been there, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, yeah. So the fields at this time... They, it was nighttime, um, so there was one field, and then they kind of made another field. I think they just put two goals, and they just sprayed the lines because there was a couple club teams playing as well. 
So we had a game at the same night Fullerton had a game. Okay. And they were playing and under the lights. It was cool. And so Brian McManus was the Nomads head coach. Right. And um and every time, I mean, every time I stepped on the field for warm-up, like, that was my World Cup. Like, I took warm-up seriously. I took game time seriously. Like, I was I was there. Like, soccer was already my job, you know? Um, so, Fullerton is playing on the field next to us. And I remember thinking, like, oh, that's so cool. Like, college players, you know? Like, that's <laughs> And so, I see Brian and I see Damien like the other or he I didn't know who he was at the time but it was just like this big guy with dreads right. and I was like oh. and so you know they start talking and and they say hey and you know come to know that Brian coached Damien when Damien was a little boy mm-hmm. or like young right and so it in was the nomads fighting what was that in the nomads yeah in the nomads right so it was just world colliding full circle i'm not sure what happened but basically that night you know brian i and i already graduated like i'm done but brian has seen me play multiple times he knows my story he knows everything about me and he tells damien like he just word of mouth like damien's paying attention to his game he's not paying attention to our game but Brian was just like, Hey, Hey D like we, I have this girl, her name's Christina. Like, here's her situation. You know, she has a rough family life. She doesn't have money to go to college, but like, trust me when I say like, she's going to do magic for your school. Like she's going to take your school far. And I mean, thank God that Damien trusted his word of mouth because I'd be right now. Um, and so I think the next week, I guess, played with nomads again, Damien came down to San Diego and Damien once told me that, like, I guess just watching me warm up, he was like, sign this girl, like just the way he saw me, how serious I took warm up, how just like, I think he said I was juggling or something one time and he just could tell my touch was something special. And and so, yeah. And so the next day he gave me a call and he was just like, Hey, like, you know, I heard you need a school. Why don't you come up tomorrow? Give you a tour of the school and we'll talk scholarship. How did you and get so, there? Take the train? No. So at this point, the family that I was living with drove me up. Wow. And so again, it's just the people in my life that have just gotten me everywhere. Just like have helped me out so much. Who's this family? Um, it was a family that I knew when I was younger, before I moved to California. I mean, before I moved to North Carolina, I was best friends with the little, with the girl in that family. Okay. And so the mom just kind of kept up with me all the years, all through the years. What a saint. So, yeah. So, and she just, I mean, still to this day, I'm just like, you are my guardian angel. Like you, it's just, I mean, she saved me literally. So you're on campus at Fullerton for your tour. What are you thinking? I was just like, (laughs) I don't even know. I don't remember. I was just like, this is amazing. Like, this is so cool. I just remember walking through the, the, the campus and I was just like, this is like a a little world, you know, just (laughs) as like, I don't need anything else. Like, 
you know, but I mean, I wasn't even thinking about the school part. I just saw the, I saw the stadium and I was like, this is it. This is it. This is where I want to be. <laughs> I saw the off, you know, I, um, in the morning before I got there, like, I think the team was training and I just remember watching the team and I was like, like, I want to do that, you know, like this is meant to be. And so, yeah, we talked scholarship, we talked money and, and I think the next week I drove up and it was preseason. I really didn't have time to think or I didn't have time to, I just knew I was going to be there. Like I knew that this was the moment I've been waiting for, for years. (laughs) So tell me what was that drive like home, right? So you're, you've you've taken the tour, you guys are driving home. Are you just giddy as a schoolgirl? Like, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. Let's pack up tomorrow. Like what, what is that ride home? Like how much were you bouncing off the car? Did they have to double seat belt you? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I've always been with like good news or bad news. I've always been just like a very chill person, like a very relaxed, just like, I'm not going to get excited for something unless I'm there. You know what I mean? Or unless it's right in front of me. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was a normal drive home. It was just like, okay, so like, what's now? We have to go shopping for the dorm. We have to go, you know, it was right. completely uneventful and, and normal. Now looking back on it, I actually never thought that was weird until you just made me feel weird about it. <laughs> well, because when you think about it, it's, you know, like there's this door that just opened up just like that. Like it, that door might not have been there if you don't take that nomad guest spot that night he's got nobody to talk about or at least nobody to point over and go that's her and if damien damien's busy the next following week and can't make it down and doesn't see you juggle and you decide that that day you're in a pissy mood and you don't want to juggle the way you want to juggle he looks at you and goes trash i'm out yeah no literally i've trust me matt i've thought about this the whole line of events that had to go perfectly in order for me to be where I am and like have the things happen that have happened. Because if one little thing was different, like you said, if he couldn't drive down, if he got a flat tire, if something happened with his huge family, you know, right. and he couldn't drive, or, you know, if who knows if I, I could have done something different too. I could have decided not to go to the nomads tournament, decided that community college was okay. Like, yeah, no, everything had to have worked out perfectly for, for that to happen. And, like, I've thought about that. I've thought and thought and thought about it and just, like, realized that the universe really does work for us. <laughs> what was that first, like, uh, that first year like at Fullerton for you? Oh, my God, that was one of the hardest years of my life. <laughs> now, that's quite a thing to say, young lady. <laughs> From this last hour, I've heard of some pretty amazing things. So for you to tell me that year of a freshman was was the most difficult. <laughs> it was. It really was. That, oh my goodness. I mean, the first, I'll give you the first two years at Fullerton were just, I think, the hardest years of my life. Because that was the first bit of normality or just like a normal life that schedule yeah like up to that point trauma was my normal you know like being under the influence was my normal um having my coach need to talk to my teachers because I couldn't perform academically was my normal it's like everything that was normal to me was now like 
I had to take accountability for it. You know what I mean? Like my grades were up to me. I wasn't going to have Damien talk to my teachers. Like I, you know, what I ate was up to me. How I spent my money was up to me. You know, it's, it, it was complete, a complete change. It was, I just learned so much about time management. I learned so much about accountability. I learned that I wasn't going to be the best on the team, every team that I went to, because now I'm playing, I'm the little fish and, a huge pond, you know, and like we had Stacy Fox, we had, you know, all these seniors that had experienced division one soccer for four years. And here I am coming in with a huge ego thinking I'm the best. And, you know, my story's so special and I'm so special. And I mean, I did do well at soccer. <laughs> like I yes. did do well by no means was I a starter my freshman year. You know, I was a sub. I got subbed in every now and then. And I mean, luckily I scored goals when I got subbed in and I, I played well, but I mean, jumping into finally being independent and being on my own and having to be accountable for every little thing on and off the field is like, was so new to me. You know, I, before college, I could always blame or have any excuse of, my life is hard off the field. And so, you know, feel bad for me. Right. So jumping into college was the first time where I was like, I learned about accountability. I learned about there will be consequences for my actions. And, you know, there was a lot of things that I would do differently, you know, looking back now. Sure. So again, I, again, I, I did well, you know, I did well soccer wise and like, but those two first years were just definitely humbling to say the least. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I always see that in the freshmen, it doesn't matter if it's women's soccer, track, baseball, you know, these kids come in and they think like, well, I'm all CIF. I'm all this, I'm all that. And then you look around at the D one level and you realize, Oh, she's all CIF and she was all CIF and, Oh, she was all state and oh, she was honor Gatorade athlete of the year. And, you know, and you're like, exactly. holy crap. And then you realize, oh, these seniors, they're kind of a lot bigger, stronger and faster than me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so you're with the best of the best now. Like in high school, you are the best. You know, if you're going to a D1, it's like you are the best. But now you're with all those I were the, I was the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you had, you were, you were playing with Rebecca, you know, yeah. that little squirrel, the love of um, God. Yeah. Becca. Well, yeah. <laughs> she was an athlete for sure. So when, okay. So when did you start to feel, cause I remember the first time after the mugshot and I seen you some games subbing in, but there was a game at LMU. I went to, because it was a day game. And mm -hmm. I, you got subbed in, you scored, and I could just see by the way you were moving, like, yeah, this, this lady's got some potential. She's moving her really? hips and her knees and her feet. Like, yeah, you weren't, and this happens with tall girls. Either you get tall late and you have good feet, but if you get tall early, it's almost like you're stuck with two left feet. You're like, legs are so long and they, you know, you can't move very well. And I'm like, this girl looks like, yeah, her feet work. Like she can keep them underneath her. Like you weren't all running down the field. Like, ah, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what? Actually 
So do you remember how I told you I would go to the park every day? And mm. if nobody at the park, the wall was my best friend. Right. <laughs> it's all those years of just kicking the ball thousands of times against the wall that created a left and a right foot for me. <laughs> right. How, did any of it have to do also playing with like your brothers, you know, playing with boys at the park that were obviously stronger, faster, more physical, did not matter if they threw an elbow and hit you in the mouth? For sure. Oh, for sure. Well, and I mean, everybody in my family is pretty athletic. Like my mom was 5'10", a semi-professional softball player. My dad was, played football, surfed, you know, baseball. Like he was an athlete as well. And so I think I was just, I was just born athletic and I was born, you know, pretty good at, um, I don't know, sports. (laughs) Right. What were the next two years for you like at Fullerton? Things are starting to click. You're becoming who you are. I love that you say that. I love that. <laughs> You're becoming who you are. Yeah, and that's exactly how I felt because um, my sophomore year going into my junior year, I had to take summer school because I was not doing so well in my classes. And so I had to stay in Fullerton. And... Um, that was the first time where, you know, I was kind of at Fullerton alone because everybody had gone home and I was in summer school and, you know, Damien sat down with me and all the staff kind of sat down with me multiple times, you know, throughout my freshman and sophomore year. And they always gave me talks of my potential. And, you know, Damien is famous for using all these inspirational quotes and, reminding us of who we can be if we want to be. Um, And, you know, I think that was the time where I just realized something clicked in one of his talks that um, I think he said, he was just like, you know, you have so much talent, but like hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Like that famous cheesy, if you say quote, you know, and it just hit me. And so from that day on, I was just like, you know what? Like, I'm going to be the hardest worker in the room. And the moment, because all my life, I kind of just relied on my talent. And I relied on my natural abilities. And I, you know, I, again, I was in summer school. And so when I got the mindset, like, I'm going to choose to work hard, everything switched. I'm going to choose to work hard in my academics. I'm going to study in the time I'm not working out. I'm going to choose to go into my junior year being the fittest I can be because that's in my control. You know, I'm going to choose to change my words, the way I speak to myself, the way I speak to others. And I'm just going to commit 100% by working as hard as I can. And my junior and senior year were the best years of my life. Wow. Seriously, everything changed when, you know, just after hundreds of talks by the staff, just saying like, bro, you need to work hard, like work hard, you know? It's like, they reminded me so many times that I can be who I want to be. I have the potential. I have the capabilities. I have the leadership abilities. I have the vocal abilities. I have the mindset. 
but it's just that switch and taking action and kind of taking that accountability and saying, I screwed up. I don't have excuses for like, I can blame my past all I want for whatever I want to blame it. But at the end of the day, the present moment is the present moment. And what I have to look forward to is what's in front of me. And I need to use all my resources that I have now around me, all the people, all the, you know, all the money, all everything and use it to get to where I want. And I need to switch everything in my mindset from, Oh, feel bad for me. Feel sorry for me. I was once homeless. I was, you know, a druggie into, I don't care about all that stuff. That stuff is in the past. Where do I want to go? Let's have a clear direction. Let's have a clear plan. Use the past as motivation to never want to go back to that low of a place in life, mentally and physically, and just spring forward. Right. <laughs> and so, Matt, I can't even tell you how many times, again, I was alone. Like, I, my roommates had gone home in to, to, I think, I don't, for, I forget where they're from, but. Are you in the dorms they, at this point? No, I, I lived off campus. Okay. Um, and so I was, I was just there and I was just, I kind of just did my own thing and I would go down to the stadium at night. I would drive on campus and I had never felt this like fiery motivation as much as I did at that time. And I would just drive down to the stadium at night and I would go run stadiums and then I would just sit in the bleachers and just visualize myself scoring goals for an hour. And I would just visualize myself running on the field. And, you know, this was like midnight on campus and I would do this once in a while. And then, you know, I would go up to the gym in the basketball court because the doors were somehow open at like 10, 11 at night. <laughs> and I would grab a soccer ball and I would just turn on the lights and kick the ball against the ball and just stay there for hours with my headphones in and just get in my zone and, Literally every moment was so precious into working toward where I wanted to go. You know, if I had an hour during classes that I didn't need to be in study hall, I would go out to the field and put cones on the ground and do some sprints or, you know, just, I would do anything I can to just get a little bit better. Right. And, and so, and that's where, that's where the, the addiction you want to be. You want the addiction to be get better addiction. Like exactly. you'll do everything you can in your power to get better because this is the time you're alone. There's no excuse. Nobody's telling you to do these drills. It's all on you. And if Christina doesn't do it, I can take a you know hot poker. And if she doesn't do it, she doesn't do it. It's got to be in you. Exactly. Exactly. It's got to be in you. And that's what I learned. That's exactly what I learned. And well, I don't know. It was, I, I, I saw it like you could, I, you know, cause I have this unique perspective as I'm not coaching. I'm looking at everything through a long lens. So I I'm seeing you and I'm trying to make pictures of people and visuals. And then there was a different change from those first two years to the second two years. Like there was potential soccer player. And then there was potential made soccer player. And that was an easily visual difference. And before that, it was like, well, she'll come around, and now she's arrived. Those oh two years God. was those arri arrival. Oh, man. And, again, everything happens for a reason, and I think every moment is 
perfect. And I think I had to go through those two years to become who I am now and who I was then. And I'm just so happy that there was something in me that clicked, you know, because, you know, there's a lot of people that there wasn't, there's never that click. Right. It never happens. So, oh man, I'm just so thankful because the next two years, it was just like, that's who I love remembering Christina Birkenrode as a college athlete. You know, it's like, that's who I was. It wasn't the first two years, but it was, it was just, man, just like, again, like you said, creating that lifestyle that I loved, you know, I loved working hard. Like I started to love going to training. I loved getting better. I loved getting good grades in my class. I loved just like finding healthy habits and stuff that like would make me one step closer to like, now the goal was going pro. Like I'm going to get drafted. I'm going to go pro. And yeah, so it just, it worked out thankfully senior year. I mean, and thank God I had, you know, like Becca around me and players like Morgan and Mm -hmm. Jen Stewart, like, our class was probably one of the best classes in. Right. And it worked out. And the crazy thing is, maybe to remind me, I might be getting old here. You guys were the fourth seed in the tournament, correct? My memory's bad. I think so, though. Yeah, right? no, I think we... you guys were the fourth seed, upset Irvine, and beat, mm-hmm. and beat CSUN in penalty kicks in the finals, right? Yeah. At Fullerton, because it was, because it was pre, it was all, it was the stupid thing where if you won the conference one year, the next year you hosted it, which made no sense. Yeah, no, it really didn't make sense. So the year Um, prior, you guys were good and then you get to host it your senior year. And when we hosted it, remember in the semifinals, we were down three to two to or no, we were down two to one going into halftime against um, Irvine, the number one seed, correct? No, Santa Barbara. Oh, that's right. That's right. Your junior year. Yes. Barbara. And so I just remember going into the locker room at halftime saying, we are not losing this game. Like, we're not losing this game. Um, because it was like, you know, Fox Sports was there. Just like everybody was there. And ESPN was there. The stands were full. It was a night game. Like, we were going to the finals. It was, like, our year to do it. And we came out, and, like, me and Becca just destroyed. (laughs) (laughs) It ended up being 4-2. to But, oh, my gosh, that was just unbelievable. How was that playing with somebody you know you could depend on? You know, you're Batman, you're Robin, you're Scottie Pippen, you're George, like, whatever. Like, to watch you two play together was really beautiful you know what I looking back I was just I'm so thankful that like me and Becca we knew we were both good but we were so selfless to one another oh yeah you know what I mean oh yeah like that's what I didn't realize at the time was so unique about us because I mean since I've gotten to a pro level I've played on I think four different teams now And it's like, I haven't had a relationship with another forward like that since I've been a professional player. And you might not. No, and nobody, I mean, we have selfless players. They're selfless professional players, of course. Mm -hmm. But when I'm playing with somebody, I want to make them look good just as much as I want to succeed. 
And I have yet to find another forward like that because every time I come onto a team, it just, it's just, it's like a competition. Right. And it's like, yeah, of course it's a competition, but at the same time, it's like, Hey, let's help each other out. Like I'm going to make you look good. You make me look good. And we're a team, you know, but unfortunately it's not the case with every team. And so yeah, either I was lucky with Becca. Yeah. Either one of you or Becca could have had more goals or more shots on goals if you wanted to. But instead, one pass got you or her an assist and got the team a better chance to win. Yeah, yeah. Because I saw it. There was many a times where either one of you guys could have had a hat trick, but instead you had one goal to assist. You know, and that was the beautiful thing to see. It was a beautiful thing to to feel too because – and I, yeah, I mean, again, looking back, it was just such a special, unique relationship that I had with her on the field. And it was almost like, it was just like a connection. Like it was just, we like, we were play together. Right. I don't know. And the weird thing is the only reason that extra year happens is she gets hurt. Yeah. She, she got on her foot. There was like an extra bone or something. Right. Yeah. So so she, she gets hurt in her one more year. Her senior year is again, matches up with you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, again, it's the universe just aligning perfectly for the greater good. <laughs> so it's not like, and God knows I love Fullerton and Damien, I, I can hug that man to death, but it's not like Fullerton, Stanford or North Carolina where professional athletes just fall out of Fullerton, yeah. right? Karen's probably been the most, well known since then. Yeah. So there's not a groundwork, a foundation for like, okay, Christina, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, Scouts are coming. There's agents lined up. Like, so for you, again, it's almost kind of like trying to find a university. You're trying to find the next level, the professional level. And at that time, you're at a good spot that there's a women's soccer league in the U S that, over your lifetime have come and gone, failed, closed, debunked, lasted six weeks, lasted two months. Like you were at the right moment when one again was flourishing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really was. Um, So yeah, my senior year, I decided to enter the draft and, you know, Damien had talks with me kind of saying like, Hey, are you sure you want to do this? Like, are you sure you want soccer to be your life? You know, you want to just go to practice then go home and recover for the next day at training and I was like yeah that's that's all I want that's all I've ever wanted you know and so I was in it and well think about okay what was your degree in communications advertising all right so regardless of what that was you at least had you're falling back it wasn't like oh I'm a computer engineer so Google's calling but then maybe I go work for the pride like yes you're, you were all no. in, all chips. All in, all in. And so. You would be great it, at Vegas. You just all in everything. No, I don't know how I've succeeded so well, but somebody loves me. <laughs> it's your mother. She's looking after you. Honestly, honestly. Um, and so, so Damien has never really had the experience kind of going through the process of somebody who wants to become a professional soccer player. Right. So he didn't have too many contacts to give me because 
before the draft, I mean, literally entering the draft was just me filling out a document saying like, yeah, this is me. These are my stats. kind of, And like emailing it to somebody. And I mean, tens of thousands of people enter the draft, you know, like, right. This isn't the NFL combine, right? right, They don't go off to Indianapolis and they measure you from top to stern and, you know, size you up. Exactly. This is like sending out VHS tapes. Like, hi, I'm Christina. (laughs) But again, like, of course I had doubts because I was like, I'm competing with so many players right now. But again, somewhere this like just undeniable confidence and belief that like things were going to work out just took over. I was just like, no, like it's going to happen. You know, like there was no other way. (laughs) And um, so I remember talking to Damien and I was just like, well, do you have any like contacts I can email like coaches and stuff? And he gave me one contact. I can't remember for who I think it was like for New Jersey, the New Jersey team or something. Mm -hmm. And so I emailed him and I was just like, Hey coach, you know, I just, I want you to like, I want to play for your team. Just like the typical email, you know? And so after that, you know, I was just like messaging people on Instagram, messaging people on Facebook, like, Hey, do you have more coaches numbers? Like I was just, working the magic you know and so I emailed probably about 10 different coaches or like maybe eight different coaches and um I was just like I want them to know my name you know right and did you literally go like name height my stats hugs and kisses yeah (laughs) Yeah. literally yeah I was like please excuse me (laughs) and it's hard because you don't have the like you don't have the Pac-12 foundation behind you or the ACC. Right. right. No. I, and I knew that too. And I knew when the coaches would see Fullerton, they'd be like, ah, you know, right. just like, mm. and, um, but again, like I was just like, you know, it is what it is. Like, I'm just going to do what I can and, and hopefully it goes well. And so I started emailing these coaches. A couple got back to me, and that's when I was just like, oh, it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. Like, he knows who I am, you know? And They love um, me. (laughs) So before draft day, I get a few calls from different coaches. Like, I think one from Houston, one from, like, Portland, one from a couple other different teams. And they were just like, hey, like, I knew, knew they were going to choose players based on stats. And I knew I had great stats because again, Fullerton isn't the best league ever. And so thankfully I scored a lot of goals and thankfully I made a lot of assists and I had game winning goals and I had so many minutes, you know, and I got MVP a few times. And so no matter what school, if it's a division one, it's going to be pretty hard to do that. You know, I think your biggest stats are height. Really? Yeah. No, that's definitely what sets me apart for sure. Yeah, I mean, because if your stats are the same at 5'4", mm, not really going to happen. Exactly. Those six like, inches really make a big difference. For sure. They're like, let's feed this girl a little bit and, like, let's put her in the gym and she's going to be great, you know? <laughs> she's going to be our athlete. <laughs> yeah. And so I knew it was based on stats. I knew I had good stats. So there was a part of me that was just like, okay, come on. Like, I know it has to work out. <laughs> And, um, so draft day is coming up in the, you know, I'm still at Fullerton and I'm just like every day that it gets closer to the draft day, 
I'm just like freaking out. Like this was the first time in my life where I was like, either my life is just going to begin or it's just going to end right now. You know, like I'm going to be so happy or like so crushed. Were you really putting that much on this? Like, Oh, this was my life. Like soccer. I mean, it is my life, but like, in college, Matt, like soccer was the only thing I wanted, you know? Was there a plan B at all? Like, oh, I can go do this? Or was, I mean, there's all in chips and then there's like, what's the plan if this doesn't work out? If nobody picks my name? Other than lots of crying. No, there was no plan B. <laughs> Did not have a plan B. Honestly, I was going to move back to San Diego and just like, literally work in like a surf shop and surf that was my plan like i was just like look i no <laughs> there was no plan b <laughs> um, well it no, worked out well didn't it oh my god again looking back like all the pieces it's just like it worked out it worked out so draft day comes and i'm sitting i'm just like i didn't go to draft day because i was just like i don't know if i'm gonna get picked right you know? it's not embarrassed myself uh, yeah exactly so I'm just like sitting at home watching the draft on my laptop and I'm on my computer and I'm just listening to it. Cause it's like a six hour long event. Right. right. So I'm like, up, I'm making my coffee. I'm just going throughout my day. Is it being and... streamed or is it like a, um, is it like a ticker board? Like is somebody no, talking? It, it's a live stream. Yeah. Okay. All right. They're talking there. They're, they're naming all the people like, you know, that are probably going to get drafted from like Stanford and UCLA, you know, everybody who. Yeah. The usual suspects. Exactly. And so I'm listening. The first round goes by and like, it's fine. I didn't get picked. I didn't expect to, but like still it's like the, the, the places are going down, you know, (laughs) how many rounds and how many teams are in this tournament? And what is it? 2018 at this time. How many teams are there? There's four rounds and 10 picks in each round. So 40 people out of thousands and thousands of like as D1 seniors, you know, thousands and thousands. So I tried not to think about that so much because when I thought about that probability, I was just like, oh my God, I'm depressed, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, And again, at this point, like my dad wasn't really in my life too much. Like I... I I was just, this is why soccer was my life. Cause it was the one like consistent thing that has just always carried me to the next step. So for those and four so, years at Fullerton, was he pretty absent? Yeah. He would come and go, but every time he came, he was either, you know, under the influence or like, or he just like looked so skinny because he wasn't eating well. You know what I mean? Right. Like he just was like, and so it just made me sad every time I saw him, honestly. And like, this was the point where I finally felt like I was kind of becoming on my own. You know, I was on my own and I wanted to be, I was like healthy. I felt good mentally, physically. So I was just like, I don't really need him in my life anymore. And so again, but okay. So you're sitting there sipping your, on your coffee in your pajamas. Yeah. And so it gets to the second round you know, the first pick goes, the second pick goes, the third pick goes, the fourth pick goes. And the fifth pick in the second round, so the 15th pick overall, they say the Orlando Pride selects Christina Birkenrode. 
And I just shot up and I just looked at the laptop and I'm just like, like I see my face on the screen and I, you know, I'm just watching it and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And I'm seeing like the Orlando pride coaching staff, like kind of like writing my name down. And, and then the commentators, you know, are obviously Googling me right there. And there's, <laughs> How do they spell that? B U R. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're just like, oh, this is an interesting one. Like, um, you know, a senior from Cal State Fullerton um, said a couple of my stats, and then was like, oh, experienced homelessness. Um, this is this is an interesting one. It's it's a different one, and so they really had nothing much to say about me because they didn't know who I was at all. They, like yeah. off the cuff. Through the Google search, they mentioned homelessness? Yeah, literally. No, they literally mentioned, like, oh, experienced homelessness. I was like, okay. But at this point, I was just like, you know, it's just like. I <laughs> Whatever. Was- they could have showed baby pictures. You wouldn't have cared. Like- <laughs> yeah. I, I was so stoked. And my phone just starts blowing up. I get Instagram messages. I get thousands of more followers. And then I get a I get a call from the head coach of the Orlando Pride and was like, Hey Christina, like, how are you? Like, let's get you on a flight next week to come out to Orlando, train with the team. Um, and then I'm, you know, in these group texts with like Alex Morgan. I'm in email chains with like Alex Morgan and Ashlyn Harris and you know, all these just famous soccer players. And I was now just like in that, you know? And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is wild. But I find it adorable. You say, and I got a thousand more followers. <laughs> Within minutes, they liked me. <laughs> that's nowadays for you. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, but- okay. So, I mean, I mean, are you having heart palpitations? Like, again, it's real. It's yeah. real going to North Carolina. It's real coming back. It's real graduating Damien college. But now like this little girl's goal in life is happening. Like, I mean, was that, how did you sleep that night? Yeah, no, I slept pretty well. Um, but it, it really, it was surreal for sure. But at this point it was like, okay, I'm happy, but I need to get there to be happy. You know what I mean? Like yes. I need to, I need to be in the moment to like really realize it and stuff. And so, so yeah, no, I mean, of course I was happy, but I definitely wasn't like satisfied, I guess you could say. You weren't satisfied? No, because now I was like, I did it, but now I actually have to do it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, you got to the dance, you need to find a partner. <laughs> exactly. And so and now the next, but now but now you're an adult at this point like all these things change. Agent flying like I'm a professional athlete. I got to be smart about things. Like in a f- blink of an eye, you're that. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty wild. No, I mean, a lot of agents started reaching out to me saying like, hey, I would love to be your agent. I would love to like get you brand deals and stuff. But what I've learned after a few years in the pros is agents talk. Sure. <laughs> agents 
<laughs> and so, um, that's their job. They're selling. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I mean, I mean, that first year at Orlando was definitely one of my biggest growing periods. Um, mm-hmm. just like from Fullerton to a professional level like that is just the change of pace is so drastic. Um, I mean, everything really, it was like soccer was your life now. Like everybody was so good. Uh, it definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely took me a bit to adapt. Um, but again, I was living in a super nice apartment on my own. Um, I had two other roommates on the team, but like we were all rookies. We were just like living our life normally. You know what I mean? Like it was so cool to be there, but it definitely was just like such a jump that I, that was the first time where like my confidence wasn't super high. Cause I was like, Holy crap. I'm, I'm next to Alex Morgan. You know what I mean? And it's not like, it's not like I ever thought when I was there, like I'm Christina Birkenrode, like I'm going to show you my stuff. You know, it's like, it's like, no, it's like now I'm the nobody out of a nobody college next to players like Alex Morgan and Marta and you know what I mean? And yeah. all these players. They've won world. national titles. They're world recognized. They've been in world cups and you're like, yeah. Oh, I made it to the big West championship. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, what school are you from? Like they didn't even hear about it. And I mean, to be completely honest, it's not like they were the nicest girls either. Sure. It's not like I welcome to the team. Like now it was, it was cutthroat, like you said, you know? Yes, because that's what so many young athletes aren't prepared for. Like, your teammates in college are in class with you. You guys party together. You cry. You laugh. You're on bus rides to Santa Barbara. You show up. You're, you're someone that can threaten their, their livelihood. You could take mm-hmm. minutes away. You could take shots mm-hmm. and goals. You're this shiny new thing. They don't, they want to eat you. Like that's what tigers eat. They're young. You're a problem. That's what they don't understand that next level. Yeah. Yeah. You actually said it perfectly. Yeah. I've and, seen it. <laughs> oh God, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. I mean, everything you just said, plus the fact that, I mean, again, like, just where I was, I was just like, I can't really, like, I don't even know if I deserve to be here. Like, that was the first time in my life where I, I feel like I had, like, a midlife crisis. Like, I just, my confidence was just, like, not there. I wasn't playing normal. I wasn't. Did you idolize them too much? What was that? Did you idolize them too much? Are you looking at Alex as this iconic person instead of, like, just a chick I could beat once in a while? Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, she's human. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is like, she was probably one of the nicest players on the team. Like I went to her house a lot and, you know, we, we hung out a lot with a few other people and like, it was fun, but soccer wise, for some reason, I just like, I just was not myself. Yeah, totally. And then, so the second season, so I think the first season was just, again, a just, too big of a jump for me to, to be myself. And so it was just such a growth period for me. And then the NWSL off season is pretty long. It's like three months, four months. And so when I went home and 
they said they wanted me back for the second season. I just decided to go back home to San Diego and completely work on myself. I was like, where is my confidence? Like, I need to get that back. I went to the gym again, and I kind of took what I took in college um, from sophomore to junior year, and I just worked. Like, and I think actions, it's what creates confidence. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I woke up at 6 a.m. every morning, went to the gym for a couple hours, and went to go train. And then, you know, just like went to the beach or just hung out for the rest of the day. And then at night, I'll get another session in. Like, I just worked every day. And I came back season just so fit, so strong, just like mentally in such a good confidence place that like, I knew I was performing during preseason. I was scoring goals. I was, I was like top notch. Like I felt good, you know, but unfortunately they brought in some other, you know, players forwards because I didn't really live up to the expectations my rookie year. And so my playing time was pretty limited the the second year. And so I was like, I, you know, I talked to a few older of the players. I talked to Alex a lot. I talked to Ashlyn Harris a lot. And I was just like, Hey, what would you do if you were in my situation? You know, like what, I'm not getting that much playing time, even though I feel like I deserve it. Um, I feel like I'm performing. I feel good mentally, physically, like, I don't know what else to do. And everybody's advice was to go overseas, go get some experience in Europe, go experience a different culture, grow as a human, go experience a different soccer style, go, just go, just take that jump. And so obviously like I'm a learner, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I love hearing advice from people that, you know, and, and they're people that I want to be where they are, you right. know? And so I was just like, okay, okay, cool. <laughs> so literally, the season wasn't even over yet. I got an agent. I was calling all these agents and basically, like, interviewing them. Like, hey, what can you do for me? <laughs> what clubs do you Um, And I talked to Orlando Pride because at this point, I was just ready to play. I was like, you know what? I don't even want to wait the rest of the season on the bench. Like I want to play. So I was like, can you guys release me from my contracts and let me go overseas? And so that's what I did. I got an agent. They were totally for it. They, I mean, in a sad way, they weren't like, yeah, go, go, go. But they were like, we completely understand your situation. And like, if you get a couple, you know, years of experience over there, like you have our number, you know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. So we will find um, you. Yeah, totally. And again, the coaches of Orlando actually became, we got super close. I mean, again, they knew my story. They, I did a lot of public speaking for them on behalf of the club. Um, Orlando has a huge homeless population. So I did, you know, I was an advocate for it. So Orlando is definitely, it definitely has a special place in my heart, but it was just, it was time to go. Right. So I, uh, Again, I got an agent, and I heard the the Norwegian league was really good. The Swedish league and the Norwegian league are top some of the top leagues in Europe. Really? Um, yeah, but they're not the absolute best. Like Spain would have been cool, but for getting playing time just right off the bat, it's like you want to go to Sweden, you want to go to Norway, you want to go to France maybe, you know? You want to get some time in. You want to play on the pitch. Exactly. 
um, wow. at the professional level. Right. Now, you've never been to Europe. Oh, my God, no. I've never been out of California, Orlando, North Carolina. You know, I've only right. been to, I've only been in the U.S. So, no, this was huge. This was like, but again, I was just like, it is what it is. Like, I'm excited, you know? And so. Well, of course, you know, now, did you? You're a smart girl, a good smart country girl. Did you realize that uh, that's not an English speaking country? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. Um, yeah. So, luckily, everybody, most everybody in Norway speaks English. Okay. So they obviously spoke Norwegian at training and stuff, like the coaches, the older generation. But basically everybody in the younger generation, like my, or whatever, the younger generation mm -hmm. speaks. So I got very lucky with that. Okay. Um, Thank I goodness. Was taking, but, <laughs> but no, I mean, what got to me though was the weather. I mean, yeah. so when I first got there, it was summer. And so it was daylight for like 23 hours a day. Like people were going out for coffee at like 11 p.m. I was like, what the heck? And, like, I'm from California, and I lived in Orlando, like, the two sunniest places ever, right? Yeah. You're so, rolling in with a tan. <laughs> literally, literally. And so once once October hit in Norway, instead of being sunny for 23 hours, it was dark for 23 yeah, hours. Flips. Oh, my God. And I was, like, on the northern tip of Norway. So I was way up there. And so naturally I get depressed. And so I was like, I got to go home. Like, I'm not okay. I do not want to play soccer right now. Like it was just such a culture shock for me that I was just like, just too overwhelming. This, yeah. Just, too overwhelming. Uh, and it like, it wasn't as professional as Orlando pride. It wasn't as, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it was, I just felt like, I did everything I could to be at like the top club Orlando. And then I just took 20 steps back. Right. Although I was playing and I was growing, it was such an uncomfortable phase for me that I, I didn't realize it was just like a growing step. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's what I was going to say. Like, did you not realize like sometimes you got to eat that crap and spend that time and get better? No, I didn't realize it. <laughs> It because was too dark. You couldn't see. <laughs> I know. Exactly. At point, everything had just like magically worked out so perfectly that I just thought this was another step that was just going to be so fun, you know? Oh, man. So that was, again, I just felt like from that first year to Orlando, it was like, I hit a low and then coming back that second season, I hit such a high and then I was so excited to go to another team. And then when I got there, I hit that low again. And it was just seriously like this. And, oh, my God. So I the season ends. It's a pretty short season, like five, six months. Okay. I fly back to California, and I, I'm just like, I can't resign. I'm not going to resign there. Like, I don't have a club. I don't care. Like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And Was that scary? Yeah, it was so scary because that was the first time I hadn't, like, I didn't have a club lined up. I didn't have a contract lined up. Yeah, like, you've got no landing pad. Exactly. Like, it was just, it was really scary. And, like, it's not like I have a family that I can just go live with dad, you know? It's right, like, you're not going back to Bel Air. 
<laughs> right. They're like, I was, I was super scared. But again, one day, out of the blue, <laughs> one of my friends that I played with in Orlando um, messaged me. And now she's playing for a team in Prague that plays in Champions League, a very professional team, like very good, you know. Um, she texted me and she was just like, hey, dude, um, long time no talk. You know, what are you doing now with soccer? Like, do you have plans? And I just replied and I was like, no plans. What's up? <laughs> and she was like, well, our striker just left um, and they want another American. Like, do you, do you want to come? Just like that. And I was so scared to go back to Europe. Like, that was the first time where I was like, I don't think I want to do it. Like, I'm so scarred from, like, just going through such an uncomfortable phase in Europe that I was legitimately so scared. I've never heard of Prague. It sounds like a dark place. You know what I mean? Like, I was just You're like, adorable. <laughs> I was like, I think it's next to Russia, maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's like, I'm definitely not informed on, like, the world map at this point. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? I care about that. And <laughs> so I talked to the family that I was living with at the time. And I was like, so this club in, I was like, all shaky voice. I was like, so this club in Prague wants me. The dad, so the family that I lived with was super well-traveled and whatnot. And he was like, Prague, that's the most beautiful city ever. Like, it's gorgeous, so happy, beautiful in the springtime. Like, you have to go. And I was just like, no, like, I don't really want to. Like, I don't know. And so I said no for like a week. And then finally, every day, he was just, the dad was asking me like, hey, do you, you know, are you going to go? Have you said yes to the club yet? Have you said yes? And I just, I started to get frustrated and I was just like, fine, I'll go. And he actually told me this thing and he, he was just like, look, Christina, I know it's uncomfortable, but you have to realize that life is all about the stories you can tell around the dinner table 20 years from now with your friends and family listening. And Again, these, like, inspirational quotes just get me. <laughs> um, and I was like, you know what? You're right. Like, I can't end my soccer career on a bad note, you or know? Or fear. Just fear. Yeah. Exactly. Or fear. And so I texted the club or I sent them an email. I signed the contract. And they sent me a flight for the next couple days. So next thing you know, I'm on a flight to Prague. And I get there. and it's amazing. There's five other Americans that played at super good colleges. Like there was one from Stanford. There was one at Duke, like just like, it was a really good team, like super good. We played in champions league. The city was beautiful. So different than anything I've ever experienced. And I spent the next three years there loving it. And the only, the only reason I left was because COVID hit. So our season got canceled Oh and, God. So, so what's that like for you? You know, that, that early spring of 2020 things are starting to go down. You're overseas, obviously. Yeah. So I was stuck there for a bit. I was stuck there for a couple months. Um, and I was just in my apartment alone. My roommates, um, had left earlier to go home. They, because one needed knee surgery. And so she was like, I have to get home. And so she got the earliest flight 
but this was before we even knew that our season was canceled. Mm-hmm. It was just at this point, there was like three cases. It was so scary, you know? Um, but everything got shut down and flights were getting canceled. And so I was alone in my apartment and there was no flights home. I'm like watching the news every morning. Training keeps getting canceled. Like the governor is saying that the the city's closed down, like everything's just closing and I'm just alone. I'm like, oh my, what is happening? Um, and so I was just chilling in Prague in my apartment for like two months until I could get a flight home. Well, I mean, there's worse places to be at least. At least you weren't in Norway <laughs> in winter. Oh my God. Oh my God. No. It would be a bag was... of tears. <laughs> Literally. I would have, oh, that would have been terrible. But <laughs> You're yeah. shaking. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was in a beautiful city around good people. Um, and I just, you know, I, I just told my club, like, hey, I think it's time for the next step. Like, once you guys can book me a ticket home, like, once the planes open back up, like, just can you book me a ticket home? And so I think it was... May, I went home. Okay. Yeah, May, I decided to fly back to San Diego. And again, out of the blue, an agent messages me on Instagram and was just like, hey, do you want to play in Mexico? And I was like, this is so weird. But of course, like I'm intrigued because the Mexican league has the best social media and TV coverage out of all the leagues in the world, I'd say. Why is that? Just because a lot of leagues decide to stream their games on paid channels. Okay. And so it's difficult to have access to watch. Um, Or they decide, you know, the women's game doesn't have a huge following, and so they don't want to pay money to stream it. Okay. Um, But this league has just invested 100% in women's soccer and is the most developed professional league I've been in on the social media. I mean, I turn on the TV to Fox sports and I see my highlights. Wow. Like I went to restaurants and women's soccer is being played. Like I've never experienced anything like this. No. I mean, the moment I signed here, I think I gained again with the followers. I think I gained over 30,000 followers. (laughs) Wow. No. And every time I score a goal, I get at least a thousand new followers. Like, I'm not saying that that's why I love it. No, but, but it's... I, as a professional athlete, as a woman's professional athlete, building your brand off the field is a must. Yes. That's where sponsorships come in. That's where social media endorsements come in. And so I just like, I feel good here. You know, I feel, I get recognized walking down the street. Like people want to take photos with me. I, I feel like the Alex Morgan of Mexico. <laughs> How you does that I, feel for someone to recognize this? beautiful tall woman and they want their picture taken with you i just think of (laughs) i think back my childhood i think back of like the days i was living in hotels i think back of like working all those nights at fullerton you know what i mean Mm -hmm. at training on my own and i'm like okay this is this is what i wanted you know has has your experience in mexico been what you thought it was going to be or is it more it's it's more in some ways and 
actually, I would say it's more. It's more. The the league is more competitive than I thought it would be. Okay, um, that's good. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess just like the the access and the the investment in women's soccer here in Mexico is a lot more than I thought it would be. I mean, I'm not saying every player gets paid a ton of money, right? But because there are some teams that can barely pay their players. Uh, but how have you? How have you been financially? Because this is something where, you know, you're not prepared for, right? You go to college and you're, everything's taken care of for you. Now you're an athlete and all of a sudden you've got money for your first time in your life. You've got taxes. You're dealing with being paid in foreign countries, their rules, countries, taxes. I mean, yeah. Has that been a challenge for you to become that kind of an adult? Yeah, no, it definitely has. Um but luckily the world of women's soccer is pretty, it's pretty small. Mm -hmm. um, and so if I ever have a problem, like for example, with my taxes, like I had no idea how to file them in a different country. I had no idea how to do that. And so, you know, I just messaged some friends and asked like, Hey, do you guys have somebody that can help me with this? And, um, and it's a bit expensive to like get somebody to file your taxes in a, in a foreign country. I because bet. It's but in my mind, I'm just thankful that I have money and have pay them to do it for me, you know? Mm -hmm. So there are some challenges, but there's definitely always somebody who can help. And I feel super lucky to make as much money as I do here. And because, I mean, even like Norway and Prague, I was struggling a bit for money because they weren't paying that much. But then when I got here, it was like, it's like triple what I made. Right. Um, and what, what was cost of living in Prague or Norway? Um, Norway was expensive. Norway is very expensive. I would say it was definitely, it was a little more than California, to be honest. Ooh. It was expensive. And Prague, super cheap. Very easy, just simple living. Wow. Um, but their currency isn't as strong as the dollar. Right. And same here. Their currency isn't as strong as the dollar, but with what I make, it goes such a long ways here. Right. So I just feel lucky for that, honestly. But every time I bring it back to America, I'm like, oh God, I make nothing. <laughs> you know? Well, okay, so you're you've played overseas in Europe in multiple countries. Now you're playing in Mexico. What decide what what is the deciding factor for you to all of a sudden to be like, you know what? I'd like to be an author. <laughs> I think that degree I got at that powerhouse of a women's soccer facility called Cal State Fullerton set me up to to write a book about my life. Like, what? <laughs> where does that, like, click well, for you? Well, kind of, you know how I told you there's always been that little thing inside of me that, that has been like, I'm going to be a soccer player. Like, mm -hmm. I'm going to be a player. Well, ever since kind of all the traumatic things have happened in my childhood or whatnot, I've, you know, had this feeling that I was going to write a book. And I don't even think this is the first book that, or the only book I'm going to write. I think this was just the, the, the start of it. But, um, that's very no, Hemingway I mean, of you. What was that? <laughs> that's very Hemingway of you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, 
No, I just, I've always wanted to write a book. I've always, ever since I was a little girl, I was just like, I either want to write a book or I want a movie. Like I want a document documentary about me or I don't know. I've always, it's just always been something inside of me. that's like, I just, I want to do it. And so I'm going to do it. And, um, I've been trying to write a book for years and years and I've had ghost writers try to help me, but somehow for some reason throughout my career, like at Orlando, I had somebody helping me write a book, but something in me was just like, I just don't think this is the right time. Like, I still think there's so much more that I'm going to do Right. that I don't, I don't think this is the time. Like, where is it going to end? You know, it's like, I don't want it to end here. <laughs> and so I don't know. I got here and for some reason I just have a lot of free time. I mean, we train in the morning and the rest of the day we just rest. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, if you look on my laptop, I just have so many drafts of like five pages written, 15 pages written, like two pages written of like different chapters. And I was like, Oh my God, how am I going to write my life story? Like, I don't understand how I'm going to do this. And I just, I was thinking about it one day and I was just kind of talking to myself out loud and stuff. And I was just sitting in my apartment and I was just like, I, cause I have a YouTube channel as well. And, and the purpose was that of that was to show the world kind of like what it's like. And I've always had something in me that's like, okay, I want to, I want to share my experience. Like I want to help the younger generation. And I just, it never clicked how to do it. Right. I mean, I was going to ask you that next is like, so what was the Genesis first? Was it the YouTube channel? Then the book? Or yeah. Book? So the YouTube was during COVID. So that was a COVID project. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm going to make a YouTube channel. And so, and so I was just sitting in my apartment and I was just thinking, and I was just like, well, why do I have to write a, I don't have to write a book about my life right now. You know what I mean? But like, I want to write. I just had that creative urgency to just write. And so I was just thinking, why don't I just start with five things I've learned as a soccer player, you know? And I was like, I have more than enough experience and I have more than enough struggle to tell people about, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I've been homeless. I've been without anything. I've done a lot of drugs I know what it's like to not be myself I know what it's like to climb the ladder back to being myself I know what it's like to go to college in America I know what it's like to not do well in the United States soccer system and then I know what it's like to be famous in the soccer system you know what I mean it's like I have such a balance of struggle to success that I just felt like I needed to get it out on writing pages and so I just started right I just started writing and of course I mean I'm sure you know like you know you write and then you delete and then you write and then you delete but for some reason this time it was just flowing out I mean the words were just flowing out of me everything I wrote like I loved and I thought it, it sounded good and I thought it meshed well and so it started out as just five things I learned as an athlete and so I just started writing and I was like, okay, what? Yeah, I was just brainstorming and 
you know, obviously the beginning of the book is just a little bit about my life. I think I just touched, scratched the surface of, of everything and, you know, where I've been and where I am now. And, and then I just get straight to the point of here's what you can learn as a youth athlete, you know? Well, you nailed it. The book's great. I love that it's 10. You, you went from five to 10. Yeah. So <laughs> as I, and it was just flowing out. And so I was just like, I got to keep going. And then I was like, well, why don't I include some of my best friends that have more experience than I do in amazing teams, World Cup experience, you know, professional struggle. It's like, why don't I include friends in this? So it just, it just kept getting longer and longer. And I mean, it's a pretty easy read. Um, so I think that's cool. It's just people don't feel intimidated by the book. You right, know what I mean? Right. It's not war and peace. Exactly. And so... I just tried to make it as simple as possible, straight to the point, pretty direct and, and include some people I love and include some people that I'm inspired by, um, from all the people I've met and all the places I've played. And so, so yeah, no, it just, it flowed out. And then I, I was just like, okay, but how am I going to publish this? Like, I don't know the first thing about that. <laughs> so. I was just kind of YouTubing and Googling ways to do it. And I just, I kept hearing Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. And so I just decided to go through Amazon publishing. Um, and at first the, the, it started out as a Kindle book, just Kindle. So okay. I was just like, oh. and then I started seeing the option for publishing a paperback. And I was like, well, I'll just do that. Let's do that. And so I had the first copy sent to me and I was just like, Oh my God, this is my book. I was like, <laughs> my book, like it seriously, again, you know how I told you earlier, like things don't really hit me. Like I don't get too excited for things. Mm -hmm. And I, I still don't think it's really hit me that like I have a book, but I am super happy about it. There was a couple of things I, I, I marked up this book like I was taking a, my final college exam. But there were a couple of things that I was kind of shocked by. Like when you right here in the second one, it says, I was 21 years old until I, and I, that's when you started taking soccer seriously. Yeah. That so, was my. I mean, was it, when you say seriously, was it things were clicking or like in your high school and college, you just didn't know better? Yeah, I think it's the, I didn't know better because, and what I mean by seriously is I started relying on hard work rather than my talent. Mm -hmm. um, that's a really good question, actually. Yeah, because. Because um, you're like, you didn't scout, you didn't watch World Cup, you didn't watch other players, that kind of stuff where that's right. almost like if you're on the football team on defense, you're scouting, baseball pitcher, you're scouting. Was that something right. you just didn't find interesting, wasn't available, you know, like? I guess I just didn't commit all the way. I just didn't think that I had to go that extra mile because I kind of just grew up always being the best on the team, relying on my natural capabilities mentally and physically. And so when I say I didn't, I started to take it seriously, I started going into Damien's office and watching film, just us. I started visualizing. I started doing everything I could 
in order to get me a little bit better. Did, did that help sitting in there with him and him kind of walking you through what you need to see as a player? Totally. Yeah. A hundred percent. Do you think it might've been better if we had a magic wand? You don't go to Fullerton, but let's say you go to, I don't know, who's the fourth or fifth best team in the Pac-12? Whoever that is, right? It's not UCLA, it's not Stanford, but whoever that is. That team's probably still better than with the talent level of Fullerton. You go there, and you're the eighth or ninth or maybe the twelfth best player. Mm -hmm. Does that fire then for you, just like fire you up that you've got to beat these extra eight girls and you're playing in a more talented league? Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, I have thought about that. And again, I think I was at the perfect place at the perfect time because when I was at Fullerton, the thought of people being better than me kind of scared me and it made me a little bit. Like when we played Stanford, again, kind of just like when I saw Alex Morgan, I kind of diminished myself and worked them up in my mind right and maybe and so i think if i ended up going to you know a a pac-12 school a better school i have a feeling that would have happened i would have diminished myself and i would have made them look bigger in my mind yeah i mean that could happen yeah and so again i think i think Fullerton was the perfect place for me at the time. Yeah. On the, on the ninth one where it says control what you can be the best ability, this paragraph here, it's like, I I wanted to like call you up and give you a hug where it says you spent countless hours crying, being mad over coaches, decisions, field conditions, bad calls from the referees and injuries. Right. It's, it's, you know, was it, was it that traumatizing? Like to the point where you were crying like where it was really eating you up? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, still on this team, if, if a girl feels like she deserves to start the game and she doesn't, like she had an amazing week of training still at the professional like, like place, you have a girl crying. Right. <laughs> and it's not out of, I think I suck. It's out of, I'm so frustrated because I feel like I just did everything I could to get that starting position and the coach isn't seeing me, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's it's like the tears aren't sad tears, but it's just like, it's frustration. Right, it's the emotional outlet you have. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But no, I mean, man, the amount of, I'm like just learning now, or at least in the last year or so, to like really understand that, there are things that I cannot control. <laughs> right. Like coaches' decisions. And, but yeah, I mean, it really, really affected me and it really, really affects a lot of, of athletes. What advice do you have for, for young athletes? To read my book. No. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no um, because like I, I've, I've got a, 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 my cousin's daughter, right? Uh, she plays softball and, you know, young athletes go through that struggle, right? Yeah. Like, what advice do you have? Um, cause you've seen some shit in your time. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, I would definitely, one of the biggest pieces of advice I would give now is learn to just enjoy the process, learn to find whatever piece of positivity there is in whatever situation you're in. And when you, when you start enjoying getting better, when you start enjoying going to training, when you start really just enjoying the moments that you have with the sport, it's like the bigger decisions don't matter as much. Like if I'm loving training every day and I'm loving who I'm around and I'm just finding the joy in the moment, it's like, I don't care if I play 90 minutes or I don't care if I play 10 minutes. It's like, I'm in this, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'm just, you know, if I, if I play 10 minutes that game, I'm going to work as hard as I can for those 10 minutes. And then I'm going to go to training the next day and enjoy my training, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I would definitely just say, learn to enjoy the process as early as you can. What would you tell young Christina? That's a hard one. I'll I'll make it kind of easier. What if you tell young Christina the week before starting at Fullerton? I don't know if I thought that much. Let's see. I would tell young Christina the week before starting at Fullerton to really, I would say to really take a step back and learn from who's around you and learn from the older players and learn from people in your position and understand that, that, you know, there's always something to be learned and to really take advice from people and pick and choose what's going to help you and what's not. And, and, yeah, I would just say really watch the people around me, observe a little more. All right. I know it's always interesting. I would I would tell the freshmen at, at Fullerton and then the seniors, like yeah, I tell the freshmen, like it's going to go by the four years, they're going to go by fast. And they're like, nah, it's not going to go always, by fast. Always. It's not going to go by fast. And then that first year, that, se- that year season ends in November, whatever. You're like, oh, that was kind of fast, huh? Well, then I'll see you at, you know, at basketball, you'll work some games, whatever. And the next year comes by. Then that four years, it's May, four years later, and you're like, wow, what the hell happened? <laughs> oh, I, oh, my God. And, yeah, when you're a freshman, sophomore, you're just like, this takes taking so long. Yeah. And the next thing you know, you're a senior, and you're just like, wow, I have to get my shit together. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, you were, so that would have been, I think, your junior year, that moment, like, there, I've been. I, I shot at Fullerton for 22 years. I've seen a lot of wins, a lot of losses. Yeah. I only've yeah. gone home once with a champion, right? The 2004 baseball team. Yeah, but, wow. Uh, I mean, and I've seen a lot of moments. I have. I had Ricky Romero on the podcast a couple months ago, and you know, I I was able to capture this really beautiful, just heartbreaking moment with him. But I mean, do you remember that moment where they let Chelsea back on the field? that last game, you know, and she's yeah. her knees all busted up and she's wearing that brace and she hobbles out. Like it's those kind of moments that I think make those four years worth it. Like, you know, I'm trying to like not cry taking this picture. Cause I'm watching like, you know, one of my kids, you know, go through this like heartbreaking moment. Yeah. Like, 
those are the those make up for like how quickly those four years go. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a moment. Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, you know all about moments being a photographer. Yeah. It really such a special thing capturing things like that. Right. Like, I mean, I don't know if you've ever even seen the phone, the photo, but you know, the last game you played when you're walking off the field, I have that and you're heartbroken. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that, but you have captured so many you, between you and Winnie, you guys have captured so many moments that I just, every time I show somebody at Fullerton, I'm just like, this was my time. <laughs> and it's just with like five mates just hugging, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. Or just like these intense photos in the tournament, just like we're after blood, you know? What does soccer mean to you? Soccer means just the journey of life, basically. I mean, that's deep, but I just, it seriously has been one of the only consistent things in my life that has just, I mean, soccer has taught me so much more than anything. Soccer has given me so much. Soccer has taken away so much. You know what I mean? It's like soccer is just the whole journey. It really is just the whole journey. Well, it sounds like our time's up. <laughs> Christina, <laughs> you are a, a dear, beautiful woman. I wish we could have gone to Milan. <laughs> still can't. Still can. <laughs> Thank you for your time. I'm so happy you're doing great. I love following well, you on YouTube. Your girlfriend and you are adorable. Well, thank you so much, man, yeah. honestly. And I hope everything is well with you. Everything's I didn't even great. Anything. <laughs> you let me know when you're back in the States, huh? I definitely will. Okay. I definitely will. You're awesome. I, I'm glad you're an author. You're a YouTuber. You're an influencer. <laughs> <laughs> it's all for the followers. No, I'm <laughs> uh, I'll make sure I'll, I'll get your uh, Instagram handle up on the podcast when it comes out. And I'll post all these uh, young freshman photos of you looking all young and bushy-eyed and country-like. <laughs> And yeah, send me the link to the book. I can't wait till it comes out. I know I'll have a lot of listeners that will be dying to listen to it. Yeah, you got a beautiful story, young lady. You're a beautiful woman with a beautiful story. Well, thank you for capturing it because this has definitely been the most in-depth, passionate podcast I've done. So thank you for that. You're the best. Wait, you be good, okay? Thank you. You too, Matt. Thank you for listening to the Just a Good Conversation podcast with Christina Berkerow. Be sure to follow her on her YouTube channel and on Instagram. Please click the like button if you enjoyed this episode with her. Become a subscriber to the show. Please leave a review if you enjoyed what you heard. And remember, you can follow the Just a Good Conversation podcast on Instagram as well. You can find all of our past shows on the website, justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.